Welcome back to another episode of Technical Roundup, brought to you by Blockfolio. Today we are speaking with Kyle Davies, the co-founder of the now infamous Three Arrows Capital. And of course, with me is the duck. Gentlemen, how are we doing? Great. Appreciate it. Yeah, all good. Beautiful day. Can't wait to, to hear this one. Likewise, I'm, I'm sure there's plenty to get through. So, Kyle, we always try to skip the sort of vanilla introduction side of these podcasts. Like, where did you come from? When did you first buy Bitcoin? How did you get into it? Because I feel like it's, it, you know, there are so many media appearances nowadays, and it's the first thing to always go. So we try to always add some sort of spin. So for you, I've got a slightly different question, which is why did you join Twitter? Because we all know that Sue is like our resident philosopher king. Um, you know, super cycle, dollar pleb, and just following him is, is an incredible privilege. You joined a bit later uh, in, I think, 2019. And your style of tweeting is also like, I'll just say it outright. You, you, you know, you don't shy away from being directional in many cases. Uh, famous example was the 40k to 30k pullback. You made it pretty clear that you know, the market was looking weak, but then it flipped more or less on a dime. And that was a great call. Ethereum as well. So it seems like not only did you join Twitter later, but you also use it slightly differently. Why did you subject yourself to crypto Twitter? And is there a way to get out? Is there a way to get out? I don't never. But uh, no, <laughs> the reason I got in is uh, looked like Sue was having too much fun. Uh, when he first started uh, tweeting, you know, more actively, Actually, I thought it was more of a distraction because <laughs> we were busy trading. We we're busy doing deals like we we're, we run a real firm, like we're busy doing things. Uh, but as it turned out, um, it actually did help our presence quite a bit. Uh, so I, in terms of like awareness of the firm, uh, ability to get deal flow uh, and, uh, you know, a great way to meet people, too. Uh, actually, I think that's probably one of the best ways to meet people. So um so yeah, I don't know. I, I joined a little bit later, uh, but I enjoy it all the same. And I tend to throw, you know, throw in more jokes. But uh, at the end of the day, I'm just trying to highlight, I guess, uh, you know, what I think are good projects. And if I have a strong view, like macro view, then I try to express that as well. Yeah, no, we, we've certainly, certainly enjoyed your commentaries. I'm sure audience has as well. Um, has anything really changed on the social media side of things as Three Arrows sort of public profile and persona has risen so dramatically? Have you had to sort of either hold off or just unable to answer, you know, everything you're tagged in? Uh, what kind of impact has this bull market notoriety had, uh, if any? I mean, you mentioned deal flow. Is it that times 100? I mean, our deal flow is off the charts right now. Um, so we have, um, basically, we have uh, one team that does only DeFi, and then it's called Defiance Capital. It's run by Arthur Tiong. And we have uh, another group that does anything that's not DeFi, basically. Uh, so layer one, exchanges, equity, things like that. And um, it's my job, you know, and Sue's job as uh, Arthur, to be fair, and some of his team also have a public face. So it's our job to kind of, if, as we see deal flow, kind of filter it in, uh, do the right due diligence, send it to the right people, uh, things like that. But um, but yeah, I, I mean, for me, it's really all fun. Like at the end of the day, crypto is a social community, right? It, it, in so, uh, as much as it is a monetary or, um, you know, uh, consensus or wh wh whatever you want to call it. 
Um, it's very much a social community as well, right? So I, I do think it's quite important. And as yeah. a, by the way, much more conversation happens on Telegram or on Discord uh, channels as well. Uh, it's just that Telegram tends to be, or, or sorry, uh, Twitter tends to be the more mass media focused thing. Yeah, it's crazy how many people you meet on Twitter that you wouldn't otherwise do, right? I mean, for me, it's been kind of mind-boggling with what kind of people you can connect if you just reach out. I mean, this podcast being the best example. And then if you want to take it further, just move to Telegram. I've done, like, I've had the same experience. It's just a great way to connect if you want to connect. Yeah, yeah for sure. I mean, it's just another work. Like, uh, all of crypto is a proof of work in my, in my <laughs> mind. Like, you have to prove that you can trade. You have to prove that, you know... Uh, your firm can do well, you can prove that you can hire well. It is just another proof of work. Yeah, it's a very good way of looking at it. I mean, we even joke amongst ourselves that there's like a deceased economist profile picture and a duck, and we just casually DM, you know, top fund managers, traders, investors, researchers, and they come and talk to us uh, for the benefit of us, of course, and our audience, which is really cool. Um, I also want to kind of, you know, we like to get a decent mix between topical stuff and also just macro stuff that people can look back on and learn from in weeks, months, etc. But of course, it wouldn't be um, a timely podcast if we didn't mention um, Coinbase. You know, crypto has been in the news, no shortage of headlines. Uh, coin went live yesterday. Uh, Bitcoin volatility followed as well. Uh, and I kind of just wanted to get your short term and also maybe long term uh, take on what it means that for, for Coinbase to be a public company now. Uh, so from the short-term point of view, do you think there's some sort of correlation trade going on? Is, there, is this just normal price discovery uh, that we can expect from a newly listed equity? Uh, and then on the longer-term side of things, do you think, for example, it's reasonable to argue that Coinbase can be a decent proxy for institutional investors who are slightly more guarded but still want crypto exposure? Uh, do you see some sort of... Uh, flow you know a change of flows from being bid bitcoin to moving towards this more blue chippy business uh for some just any kind of reaction to what we've seen over the last 24 hours would be really cool yeah i okay so i got a couple uh things to say about that i, I used to work at credit swiss uh, i was a convertible bonds trader and i can tell you that the guys that were buying that um may or may not own bitcoin on their personal account like probably did actually because they have an interest in crypto uh, but in their corporate account, this was certainly many of their first crypto exposure. Um, because in a convertible bond fund, you can't even buy like commodities. You can't buy lots of futures products. You can't buy like there are many things you can't buy, but you certainly can't buy just Bitcoin, right? Um, but but you can buy a convertible bond on MicroStrategy. So uh, that, that's one example. But I think I see the uh, Coinbase uh, direct listing very similarly. Like the guys that are buying that are probably long short funds, long only funds, um, you know, uh, traditional investors, maybe some retail accounts that have, uh, you know, uh, they think this is a great way to get exposure to tech or they see it as. A, but my point is, they're not trying to buy Bitcoin. If you want to buy Bitcoin, like you can certainly do that by now. There are so many avenues, right? And and neither are you selling your Bitcoin to buy this. I really just don't see it that way. Furthermore, it's a very small float, so it's not, um, you know, it, it's not taking a, a lot of the market. Um, and maybe my third point would be uh, if you look at the large holders of Coinbase, these are all like crypto maximalists. If, if they, I don't know if they plan to sell now or later, probably later, right? But if they were to, like, for sure, they're 
they're they're going to replace some of that with actual coin, right? Um, so, yeah, I I really see these things as purely additive. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I kind of agree. I'm in the boat of I mean, this is just addict addict exposure, right? I mean, more people see it. Uh, something I like to say, and I think that's true for like a lot of people, is you have to kind of go through or like see this bubble, like the crypto space bubble once. And then the next time you're going to be on board, right? The first time, it's rarely the case that you're just like, oh, I'm on board. For me, it's been like when I saw Bitcoin go to 1K the first time, I was like, oh, <laughs> should have bought some. And then when it went down, I bought, I bought some, right? And I think it's the same with stuff like Coinbase, right? Now a lot of people are going to hear about it that haven't or haven't considered it too much. And they're going to be the, the people that are going to buy the next three trades, I think. Um, if they're yeah. not just buying out right now. So for me, it took two cycles. I had to see, uh, we were trading Bitcoin in 2012, 13, uh, but didn't buy a material amount. Uh, then I saw friends get rich in 2017. And then by the end of 2018 and early 2019, that was my, that was like my, you know, uh, material entry. Yeah, so, that makes yeah. a lot of sense. Uh, you know, even to your point, I think as early as this morning, uh, Kathy Wood's ARK funds were, were buying coin. Uh, so, you know, even amongst those who have exposure to crypto, maybe it's a means to diversify to some extent, whereby you're not just long the asset, but also, you know, the, the companies selling the shovels, so to speak. Um, so I'm definitely going to be keen to, to follow uh, the developments of coin. Um, I think at the very least, you can argue that it's become impossible for reasonable traditional finance people to ignore crypto at this stage. Uh, there's just too much going on uh, with Bitcoin price itself, MicroStrategy, and now this massive direct listing. Um, you know, how can you not have an opinion, uh, not least exposure to this asset class at this point? Yeah, absolutely. And what's coming afterwards, right? So uh, yeah, I 100% agree. Cool. Um, I want to move towards some three arrows reasonably specific questions um but first you know we, we interview a broad a range of traders investors researchers etc and one question we always like to ask and it's funny because the answers are often quite overlapping but what we like to ask is how do you contextualize the market at a glance so let's say you wake up you want to see you want to get an overview or see what's up uh, what data points do you look at is it charts is it futures data is it premiums do you break the market down into sectors uh, what's your kind of you know what's in your toolkit to understand what what's going on um in a short period of time or to catch up essentially yeah i i should preface this by saying i'm probably not trading on the time scales that you might be or some of the listeners might be so uh, like for us um uh, when, like when we trade, let's say Bitcoin directionally, that's like a two or three times a year event. Um, and if, and then if I'm trading uh, SBTC, that's probably also a three or four times a year event. And then if I'm trading uh, alts, that could be much faster. That could be you know a, a couple weeks or a week or things like that, right? So uh, for me, like I'm not waking up in the morning and deciding whether to sell or buy Bitcoin. That's like I've already denominated my book in Bitcoin. Um, and I'm waiting for like significantly large, you know, impactful events, basically, right? Um, and that so, uh, sorry. No, that makes sense. Is there a reason for that? Like, is it that you're just too big to kind of trade the short time frames? Do you not see an edge there, or like, why are you only trading the bigger time frames? 
Yeah, so in my most humble voice possible, uh, we are a little bit big to be trading like our entire book, you know, every day. Um, it's, it's not feasible. It takes like a week to put on the book, basically. Um, <laughs> uh, right, so, um, so, so A, it's just not feasible. But, but B, uh, I, I also really just strongly disagree with the idea. Well, I mean, okay, there are a hundred ways to make money in the market. Some people are able to do that, right? Uh, put on their entire book, take it off and move it around. Uh, but for me, uh, like my, al or our alpha is rather in other stuff. Like we have a team that focuses on deal flow. That's a long only fun. Um, it, uh, and, and generally speaking, doesn't really sell community tokens because A, our, our, our address is very doxed. So if we were to sell them, everyone would know. Uh, but B, we're working with teams uh, and they wouldn't like that. And and see, like we we want to win more deal flow. Um, and a lot of the guys that were flipping deals can't win deal flow anymore, right? So um, so like there's a lot of my point is there's a lot of our book that is inherently long only, and it's still plus EV, or it's very plus EV. Not only because crypto is just bullish, but because our alpha is in running a long only book, right? Um, I think a lot of people forget about this. Like some a lot of people are just looking at the price and saying, hey, like. Where can I buy? Where can I sell and make my spread? But what about if you just said, like, hey, I'm long. How can I beat Bitcoin now? Like, can I buy, can I take some ETH, like Ethereum trades here and there and beat Bitcoin? Can I, like, run a, you know, a DeFi book and try to beat Bitcoin here and there? And can I, and so for us, we try to, like, put that all together. We run some ARB strategies too. And, uh, but it, by its very nature, like, the book is long. Always. Almost always. Yeah. Do you, do you, like you said, you're denominated in Bitcoin. Does that mean when you're moving in and out of an, an old coin, let's say you, you bought an old coin for some reason, six months after you're kind of done with it, you're, you're selling it back into Bitcoin, right? Yeah, exactly. So I'm always trying to outperform Bitcoin. And there are certainly cases where we like sell Bitcoin. Uh, so for example, like before the Elon Musk tweet, uh, when Bitcoin went up to 40K, you know, I was very public about saying like the funding is absurd right now, guys. And there's really not a strong roadmap here. Like, yeah, long term, I'm bullish Bitcoin, but you know, I just don't see it. And the market pulled back to, you know, 30K, right? So um, that, that, like, I, I, we really did trade that in, in like quite material size. Um, but that's like w maybe one of three examples in the past year where we actually took a view on Bitcoin itself. Right, vast majority of the time, I'm taking a view on Ethereum, Bitcoin, or on alts, or on a strategy, like a, or like at a business level, and saying I want to be in the business of, you know, uh, decentralized finance, right, or things like that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, it was actually one of the bullet points we had in terms of I mean, you answered the question when it came to Bitcoin trading. Like, what's the time horizon for positions? Are you trying to trade days, weeks, kind of rotations or cycles? And I think you answered that really well. And it also just makes a lot of sense for a crypto fund to try to outperform Bitcoin, uh, especially historically. One thing we're trying to get a sense of in the fund space is even the very quantitative firms. I mean, we talked to Sam recently and asked them about Alameda, and they do a lot of essentially VC work, deal flow, etc. Now, we want, we're always trying to get a sense of within these crypto funds, if, if you imagine a spectrum where on one side is kind of very... Um, quantitative and on the other side there's like a lot of discretionary strategies like maybe more on the CMS side etc uh, where would you say um, that you would fall uh, so 
traditionally like quantitative uh, quantitative trading requires backtesting, right? Um, we do zero backtesting. We, we are uh, more akin to a market maker. So market makers generally don't have to backtest, right? They, they just like improve their algorithm to be the best top of book or the best algorithm, things like that, right? Um, and so it's more of like a present analysis mm -hmm. and less of a past historical analysis. Um, and then uh, for like longer term stuff, it's very much discretionary. So it's like our view that, you know, crypto itself is in a bull market and, uh, you know, Bitcoin dominance is going to be doing whatever we think, you know, it's going to be doing, things like that. Um, so we're not a, uh, you know, a quantitative, uh, I guess in traditional finance, they would call them CTAs. We're not a CTA. We're not like momentum, mean reversion, that kind of stuff, trading. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, on, that, on that note, though, when, you know, you alluded to kind of discussing your view on the market and different metrics, how does uh, a trade idea come to life? Uh, you know, in the office? Is it more of a casual structure where you might bounce ideas and see what people think? Or is it quite a more rigorous or, and well-established process? Like, how do you move from A to B? I think we rely on experts is the best way to say it. So like for DeFi, we have a team that's expert in DeFi. And I'm sure they have their own methodology for testing the market, talking to other people, talking to other funds, talking to projects and having a view, right? Um, and there's a lot to discuss there, right? Like you, you, there's Ethereum-based DeFi, there's DeFi on BSC, there's NFTs, there's like, you know, borrow and lending. There, there's many things that you can have a view on within DeFi itself, right? And you only have so much capital to allocate and you need to be an like have an expertise in some area. So, um, and the same goes for, you know, uh, basically all of our deal flow. Like we are always relying on experts to a certain degree, and then we are just decision makers. So, so yeah, like I, we also do analysis ourselves, but at the end of the day, it's always just synthesizing expert opinions. That's really the way I think about it. And I th the other way I like to think about it is everyone that I speak to should be smarter than me. So if I'm speaking to people dumber than me, then I'm probably speaking to the wrong people. Like one of the people that are smarter than me, such that my job is to synthesize what they're doing, like in a greater context of myself, right? Like. I, and I say like, okay, for my book, if someone gives me like a really great, you know, uh, DeFi opinion, well, that, that's, that's goes straight to our DeFi group. And if they already have too much exposure to DeFi or they're fully allocated, then even if this is a great deal, like we're probably, we can't do it for, for that reason. But in the context of our book, if we're like lacking in NFTs, for example, then we've allocated to a bunch of NFT deals recently. And, uh, yeah, and I, I, we have a strong view that that's going to that's going to be a big thing. So, um, so yeah, I, I I think of myself as more of a synthesizer of information. I mean, look, Kyle, if, if you want to talk to people smarter than you, you could have just said you want to end the podcast already. No <laughs> idea why you're agreeing to this. But we'll we'll continue. We'll... <laughs> no, no, I, um, no, no. But in all seriousness, I, I really do believe that you should work with people smarter than you. You should hire people smarter than For you. Sure. You should talk to people. That should be ninety percent of your day. Yeah, I mean that's kind of what we're trying to do with with this podcast as well. Just talk with people that like that are experts in their field, and then you always learn something new. Um, with regards to like, I've heard you talk a lot um, while I was researching about DeFi. Um, you didn't really talk much about any other altcoins, really. 
Um, is there anything on the norm, like old school um, old coin kind of world that interests you? Is it just uh, mostly DeFi nowadays and DeFi and Bitcoin? Uh, so we look at a bunch of layer ones. Um, so I, like right now we're overweight Ethereum. Um, I just think it's overlooked, to be honest. I think that everyone's focusing on you know, the success of some other layer ones and some DeFi moving to other platforms. But at the end of the day, like, like layer two is real. Uh, we've invested in some layer two solutions as well, but layer two is real. Like if most things are based on Ethereum uh, or clones of Ethereum. And um, yeah, that's where like a lot of innovation is still happening. So uh, I, 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 yeah, I mean, we do take views on this stuff. Um, and it, if you're talking about like mechs, you know, uh, alts, um, not as much. I mean, here and there, uh, like, for example, XRP, um, that, like, recent movement, did you do anything with that? Or was it just like, yeah. oh, XRP is going up, whatever? I caught, I caught it uh, three, four months ago, uh, the other way around. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> nice. Uh, uh, yeah, totally totally missed the, the, this one. I, I don't know. I, I, maybe we're just miss, we're, weren't looking for it. I don't know. But we missed it. Yeah. I mean, I was looking for it, and I still missed it. <laughs> uh, it's what it is sometimes. <laughs> It does raise uh, yeah. an interesting question in terms of. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say, like, I'm. I have no ego about trading things. Like, I'll trade anything. But um, <laughs> yeah, I I do think that uh, our time, because we do run a real business, right? It's not just like speculating on things pumping. Like, we run a real business of, you know, working with teams in things like DeFi. That's why I'm mentioning it. Um, and so for us, I do think a lot of our time is better spent there. Than like trying to find the next alt that's about to pop, but if we do find one <laughs> and we do have conviction on it, like we we have taken views and we are public about them too. So um, yeah, would you say there's been a shift uh, from so, sort of from expressing directional views about the big caps more towards working with teams and working on deal flow and taking kind of investor approach? Is that a sort of natural? Well, first of all, has that transition happened? And second of all, is that a kind of natural bull market transition as there's more teams, more innovation, more motivation, etc. Uh, at this point in the market cycle? Yeah, I, and I wouldn't even say it's like a bull market transition. It's like a productivity you know, uh, utilization transition. Like in tw in 2017, uh, arguably things were pumping for narrative reasons, mostly, right? Um, but in 2021 or 2020, things were pumping because they're being used, right? Or the community was involved, or things like that. So, um, if you like the high, some of the highest alpha strategies were not looking at you know uh, a mech chart and trying to predict what was going to pump next on their list, right? But rather, you know. Uh, working with a team and saying like, okay, I think that um, this is going to be more composable in this way and it's going to be integrated in that way and I can work on the governance and I can stake and I can try to buy tokens from the team to try to, you know, and, and that kind of alpha uh, was translated better, I think, in the past couple of years than, you know, looking at charts and saying, hey, what's going to pump? Um, not to say that one is better than the other, like I, making money is making money, but like, I, yeah, I think, uh, you know, for, for better, crypto is being used now and is, uh, I, I, I think it's, I think that's where a lot of the alpha has been. Yes. So it's kind of been like, you've been, you've been stuck trading because there's not really been that much usage. And now that there is, you can kind of move on and kind of see quality, right? That's kind of how I feel too.
Yeah, um, exactly. Like, know what quality looks like, like now. Whereas in maybe 2017, people were like, maybe looking at a team and saying this team is quality, but surely it wasn't the product because there were no products. Like, yeah. Um, so yeah, now we can look at product and say this product is better or this one is worse. And there's like a more, there's better analysis that can be done. And a lot of times that translates to p &L. Sometimes it doesn't, by the way. Sometimes, you, you know, there's random alts that just pump, but like, <laughs> uh, but, but, but a lot of time it does. And, uh, and our, our thesis is that longer term, that is, you know, part of the thing that's going to make the most amount of money. Yeah. How does that process work? Like, let's say you find something that you think is interesting, right? And then you already said you take a while, you need some time to kind of get in. Um, and then the same is obviously true for getting out, right? How does that process look for you guys? Um, start to finish, basically. Okay, so for <clears throat> application layer, uh, it, it has to be a long-term view because frequently we're locked up for a long time. And our address is very doxed, so people would know if we sell. So we wanna be buying things that we don't plan to sell for years. Um, and I think that's part of the reason, you know, people have kind of liked us, right? Like our things have done well, maybe because we've an analyzed deals better or worked with them or what, but it's also done well because we haven't sold anything. So um, like, I, I think that, you know, that is a real focus of, of what we're doing. Like we're doing the analysis such that we have the conviction to work and hold things for a for years, right? Um, and then for layer one, I have no problem trading. So uh, like if I think Bitcoin's going down, I will sell it. If I think ETH is going down, I will sell it. If I think it's going up, I'm gonna buy it. And um, and that's more because, you know, uh, that's like my our macro view. And, and that's kind of the way I like to think about it. So like if I think the whole market is going to tank, like I'm not selling our application layer stuff. We're working with teams for years now. Um, but I will absolutely like do macro hedges, right? So yeah. that's kind of the way I think about it. And you'll let um, me know, obviously, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, right now, Max Long, just so you know. <laughs> like, um, <laughs> yeah, Max Long, like overweight ETH. That's basically my position right now. Um, but, uh, but yeah, like, I don't know. We have no problem trading layer ones. That's a good position to be in looking at the ETH chart. Um, let's say you're wrong on something, right? Because that does happen occasionally. I, I remember back, oh, I think it was a year ago or something. Um, and I only remember because I took the same trade. Um, you guys were moving into NEO, right? Um, and into yeah. like looking into the ecosystem. And that didn't really play out, I think. Maybe it did, I don't know. Um, but I don't think it played out like you expected to. Like, what do you do then? Um, yeah, it, it didn't play out at all. Um, <clears throat> at the time, uh, we were very involved in uh, DeFi, yield farming, a lot of early stage investment, all on Ethereum. And uh, yeah, we had a view at the time that maybe there would be other layer ones that would pick up some DeFi. And maybe there'd be like, the, the Chinese community really wasn't as involved um, as I thought they should be. Um, and I thought maybe if there was like a Chinese, you know, protocol that was able to get some momentum, maybe there'd be something there and it just did not materialize at all. <laughs> so uh, yeah, we can absolutely be wrong. Um, but yeah, that's, that's part of the, the, like if you're public about things, you can be right or you can be wrong, right? And people can judge you by your record. Um, so yeah, I mean, we've, we've been wrong about many things. Is it difficult unwinding some of those positions, especially if they're directional? Uh, so like for liquidity, um, 
okay, like generally speaking for application layer stuff, let's say, <clears throat> try to be like one to 3% of a protocol. Um, if I'm like, there are other guys that will go out there and do like 5% or more. Um, that is terrifying to me. I don't know how they do it. Um, and there are other, and then there are some that will take like tiny, like they basically hold 90% of their book in Bitcoin and they'll take like tiny little positions in application. And so for me, like kind of think that that one to 3% is kind of like the, the sweet zone where if you want to get out, it's going to take you like a week or so, but you can do it. And, um, <clears throat> also when you want to get in, there's a bunch of slippage too, right? Um, so you pay a bunch of slippage in, play a bunch of slippage out, but you can probably, you, you like if you have a long-term conviction view, you can still do it. Um, and so for something like Neo, it was it was nowhere, it was much smaller than that percent of the network, but it was like an amount that was tradable basically. Um, so it takes us day for that kind of thing. It takes us days to get in or out. Um, but yeah, for some of the other stuff, honestly, it's like weeks. For an ETH position, it's like a couple weeks. Yeah, that's, you know, we're very, I just want to say, I'm, we're really grateful for your openness to talk about detail on this stuff. You know, it's not necessarily a, uh, a part uh, that we see on Twitter or the, you know, the specifics aren't exactly floating around in a Medium article. So uh, that's really cool to hear. Um, and it makes a lot of sense as well, you know, with regard to the kind of size you're playing with. One argument that I've found quite interesting, and this sort of relates back to, you know, as you, as you mentioned, you're not selling your investments and you've been working with some of these teams for years. So an argument that's cropped up with DeFi and with lending taking off, yield farming, etc., cetera, um, is the question of rotation uh, as a means to taking profit, right? So stable coins are everywhere and yields are currently high and the infrastructure is just there and not to have to kind of rotate to Tether, for example, right? You can, you can just lend stable coins or do whatever else. Uh, do you essentially accept that argument that even to quote unquote take profit, uh, or to take risk off the table, however one wants to contextualize it, you can just you can you can now just stay within crypto and use the existing infrastructure to de-risk while not taking money out of the market explicitly. And is that something you plan to do, or is that how you know? Do you accept the premise? Yeah, 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 I, absolutely. So I, I mean, I can tell you how we look at our book, and I think um, yeah, DeFi is a great example of that. But like uh, for us, uh, I try to hold things that I can post as collateral. So like if I'm holding Bitcoin. Um, I can post it as collateral with someone else. And then what, like, what's really useful? Stablecoin, right? So then I can borrow stablecoin against it and I can use that stablecoin to earn yields or things like that, right? Same goes for a lot of other tokens. And some, you know, some tokens you can even stake themselves, right? And you can earn yields that way. So um, I try to keep a book that is useful, right? So, and, and that's not always the case. Like sometimes we do buy equity, um, for example, for Deribit, the options exchange, um, we own equity and that you can't use it for anything, right? So you literally are just invested in the fund. It's not financeable, it, like you just hold it, right? And um, and so we do have some examples where it's just a pure fully funded like investment like that. Um, and we have some other, uh, we've also invested in, uh, you know, BlockFi, Fireblocks and uh, Starkware, our equity positions. So we have a bunch of positions that are like that, but the majority of my book, I much, much prefer to have in a way that I can use for yield. Um, whether itself can be used for yield or whether I can be placing it for stablecoin and then use the stablecoin for yield. Because the way I, I guess another way to say that is all of crypto is the business of speculation, right? And so 
in the business of speculation, you want to be in the business of financing speculation. And the way you finance speculation in crypto is you hold a bunch of stable coins. And so um, if you hold stable coins and you do the spot versus futures or you stake into pools or whatever you're doing, like the yields are awesome. And uh, that for me is the goal, like not to hold dollars and do that, but to hold actual crypto and then still be able to participate in those dollar ARPs. Um, you mentioned BlockFi there. Can you talk about the GPTC situation at all? Or is it something that you'd rather, rather not talk about? Because what we've seen, right, with the GPTC premium, like, go up and down. I mean, I know that you guys have been moving in the GPTC space a little bit. Um, so I just figured you know what's going on there. And no one could, like, so far, everyone's just been kind of speculating. And I wanted to see if you have an, op an opinion on what's going on there or know what's going on there. I don't want to talk too much about it, but what I will say is, um, as with many things in crypto, if you are dollar denominated, you're going to get cucked. And this is a great example of it. Like, <laughs> you are a dollar guy and you just wanted to get the premium, right? <clears throat> and you go out there and you go borrow a bunch of Bitcoins and you go do this trade. like you would be down, let's say, whatever the premium discount is, let's say 6% or whatever it is right now. And, but Bitcoin triples. So now you're down, like in dollars, you're down 18%. If Bitcoin triples again, well, now you're down like, you know, uh, you know almost half your book, right? But if you are a Bitcoin guy, you're down 6%. That's it. So I, and I think this is the case like across crypto. So that's, that's kind of what I was trying to say. Like, if, you, if you're in crypto and you're doing a lot of these like structural ARBs, like you, you got to be Bitcoin denominated. Um, if you are not, then like, yeah, sometimes you're going to get some really sweet yields. But in some edge cases, you're really going to get hurt. And this is a good example of it. Yeah, when, when you're saying Bitcoin denominated, right? I mean, Cred and I have had this argument for years now. Um, are you looking, when you're looking at charts, or I'm not even sure if you guys are, but if you're looking at a chart, are you looking at the, like, let's say, altcoin Bitcoin pair, or are you looking at the altcoin USD pair, or do you not care at all? If I'm looking at DeFi, I'm looking at the S DeFi pair. Mm -hmm. um, if I'm looking at anything else, I'm looking at the BTC pair. Yes. <laughs> Yes, yeah, it's a redemption arc for the duck because you know just to explain the the almost background joke or uh, context there's been a sh notable shift in market structure especially in the way that i suppose retail trades altcoins uh stable coins are everywhere now uh, linear futures are incredibly popular and the volume for the most part especially for retail participation uh, has shifted from you know the old school alt btc pairs towards alt usd linear futures so the duck and I kind of always go um, back and forth asking, you know, what, which chart is more important, which one should it look like, you know, which one to look at or which one to trade. Um, so that shift in market structure is something we make sure to always ask our guests to, to, to get a sense of how they perceive the market. But for a Bitcoin denominated book, I mean, it makes all the sense in the world. And for the DeFi fund as well, uh, setting the benchmark to what you want to outperform is, um, seems pretty intuitive. Yeah, I, 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 but to be clear, I'm not talking about which one's more relevant for like char the, the chart or the market. Like I could imagine pairs being better. But for me, I really don't care what the dollar pair is doing. Like I, I, the only thing I care about is, is this going to be Bitcoin or not? If it's not, I'm just holding Bitcoin. For sure. There you go, Duck. You can, you can scratch that on your uh, record keeping book as, 
I, I mean, at least 10 points since since Kyle's on your team, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, we touched on kind of uh, structured products or, you know, the, the lending space, etc. And one of the narratives that has emerged from uh, GBTC was the discussion of an ETF, right? I think they made it pretty clear that they want to uh, become an ETF. I think there's like a record high number of pending applications. Uh, is this the year that we have uh, a Bitcoin ETF, in your opinion? Uh, institutional participation uh, has, has has never been more at the forefront than it is now. We have Coinbase um, becoming a public company. And yeah, I mean, is, is, it, is it, you know, Especially because you can, you can, I'm sure, remember we've had some pretty ugly price action based on previous ETF rejections. It's something, at least in the past, that the markets cared about a lot. Uh, but the landscape has shifted so much. Uh, is, is this the year? Do you have any speculation as to um, the ETF space? Uh, I, I, I really don't think so. And uh, the thing about applications is it's a great virtue signaling, right? Like if you have a, like a fund that professes to do M&A or be a bank, crypto bank or whatever, like you should definitely throw in an application and you can tell all your investors that you might have a Bitcoin ETF someday. But that literally has no reflection at all whatsoever on whether there will be a Bitcoin ETF or not. Um, like I can go apply for, you know, throw in an application to be president. Like that doesn't mean anything. That does not, zero reflection on me becoming president. So um, yeah, I just, I, I don't, um, <laughs> I think it's a great virtue signaling thing for a, for a firm, but I think it is highly unlikely this year. Why do you think that is? Like, why do you think it's been so hard to, to get an actual ETF for anything crypto? I think it's just a big risk that um, these are risk averse people, right? Um, like, I, I just think they're risk averse people. And I think the, the risk to them that it, like even the 0.1% chance that it goes wrong, um, would be catastrophic for them, right? So I think, yeah, d don't underestimate how risk averse these people are. <laughs> so, yeah, it, kind of old school risk averse. That's kind of where, where my head's at, too. Um, with regards to like opportunity in the market, where do you think? is the best kind of place to look because i mean we've seen we've seen market caps like triple quadruple 10x 100x um so it's kind of difficult to pick out okay what's going to be the next big thing or maybe even like an old thing that is still going to be a big thing um so where do you think is the best place to look right now um well let's see i think if you like the futures basis by far is one of the juiciest trades right now, right? Um, mm -hmm. One of those things that like everyone talks about and everyone, every new entrant, especially if they're traditional finance says it's going to get arbed out of the market, it just never does. And um, yeah, if, I guess if I were like new to the market, that'd be the first thing I would look at. Um, then I would earn that yield. And then slowly but surely after earning that yield, you would connect to more and more exchanges and then you'd learn a little bit more and more, and then you'd start to have more views. And then eventually, you know, crypto is one of the things that just like sucks you in, right? Like before you know it, you're running an art book that's got like 10% long Bitcoin exposure. And then before you know it, that becomes 25%. And then you start having views on all sorts of things, right? Um, this exchange is better than that exchange. Maybe I hold some exchange token or, or whatever it may be, right? Um, so yeah, I don't know. Like for us, um, we're still sticking to our guns here in like the verticals that we think are going to be big long-term. Uh, namely things that are uh, scalable, 
uh, like scalability solutions and, um, you know, in, de in decentralized finance related, basically. Um, but yeah, I think those are the most important things in crypto at this time. Yeah, the market, the market also seems to agree, uh, unsurprisingly. It does raise the broader question. I mean, D Donald alluded to the fact that everything's up a lot, which is good. Um, do you view the market in, or do you even care about sort of uh, the premise of a market cycle? Um, because I think we have this very romanticized view that the market is either very clearly um, bullish market cycle, or very clearly bearish market cycle, where of course most riches are kind of lost in the awkward transition phase where you're not quite sure what's going on, but by the time you realize it's too late, right? Um, there's been a lot of speculation that the new form of participation in this market has meant that we're either in some, you know, a super cycle of some form, at least for Bitcoin, uh, or just the, you know, the, the, the previous market cycles that we had, uh, they'll still exist, but volatility will be much more muted uh, and they'll be shorter and almost more like S&P-esque, where you kind of know it grinds up, but we just do that in a slightly more volatile fashion. Do you take into account those sorts of macro speculations as to how the market behaves cyclically, or do you kind of just focus what's in, in front of you? Did you say uh, super cycle or super cycle? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, those things are synonymous at this point. So um, uh, either, right. either or. Right. Okay. So in that case, um, yeah, I, th I do think that, um, I, I, okay, I'm of the opinion that things can pull back a lot, uh, but just not from this level. So like, uh, you know, when things pulled back, let's say in previous cycles, that was at periods of like extreme excess, right? Um, and I just don't think we're anywhere near that. So yeah, like if the market goes to 200K and then falls to like 80K, yeah, I think that's possible. But, and that would be a serious drawdown, right? But from 62K, like I just don't see, you know, you know the 80% the draw, like I just don't see that happening because there are going to be bids. I know where the bids are like all the way down, right? So I just don't see that happening. Um, yeah, I mean that, that that's barring a major regulatory change or something else. Mm -hmm. But I, 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 yeah, I just don't. I don't think we're anywhere close to the point where we can get to those kind of pullbacks. You mentioned signs of excess, which are all very memorable, and every market cycle sort of brings its own signs of excess. Obviously, this is quite hard to conceptualize uh, in advance, and it's more of a feeling and recognition in the moment, perhaps. But what sorts of things in this current? climate or cycle for you would qualify as those kind of red flags or hey maybe it's time to chill out a little bit because obviously the 2017 excesses are not fit uh, to serve the purpose of 2020 2021 excesses so we need to kind of up the ante to some extent uh what does that look like theoretically is it just price based is it um you know what what will you be looking at or what would raise an eyebrow in your eyes for this current cycle as to those red flags yeah, I think it's always a uh, financing thing, in my opinion. So like in 2017, it was ICO financing that eventually, you know, the deal sizes just got to really absurd levels. And uh, then they moved to private deals. And then it was like, objectively looking back, I know in, in 2020 vision, it, like the funding cycle was just like absurd, right? The funding deal sizes and stuff. And in, in, thus far in this cycle, the deal sizes are tiny. Like I can tell you for the deals that we're investing in, uh, we get people all the time that say, hey, like, you know, if you see anything interesting, could you also include us in the round? And the answer is hell no. 
Like there are 10 other people on every single wait list and the deals are tiny. So um, we're like, I just don't, I think the reality is that uh, the f funds are sitting on uh, larger balance sheets that are, you know, in the projects that are raising are raising such, you know, smaller uh, tickets uh, relative to the size of the market that we're just like nowhere near the period of excess yet. Uh, you know what I mean? It, like you got to get to a point where balance sheets are stretched. You know, you see a deal, uh, you know, uh, they're raising a billion dollars and usually your ticket size is, you know, seven figures, but this time you're stretching to like mid eight or something. And, and then you're like, okay, you know, and, and it's only equity and there's no token and it's going to be pushed out a year and all this stuff. And then, yeah. that, you know, you could say, okay, wow, we are way beyond the point of reasonability at this point. But I, I, I really have to say, we are just nowhere near that yet. Really nowhere near that. Why do you think that is? Like, why do you think that like these raises have been so small? Is it just like that the, the, the companies or like the, the coins don't want to kind of screw the, the little guy or, or what do you think is the reason for it? Well, they're getting bigger, right? So I, I think it's just a, a, a cycle thing. Like you gotta, I mean, not everyone can raise money. You have to have an idea too. You gotta have a good team, right? So um, I think uh, the guys that were raising maybe pre-seeds or raising seeds, maybe they got to series A, then they get to series B. Uh, and then eventually you see some like real big tech teams like Silicon Valley, Google, uh, ex-Google level talent that comes out there. And then, you know, maybe that guy can raise like uh, one, two hundred buck uh, seed uh, like valuation. And then eventually you're going to get the guy that raises a billion. And, you know, and at that point we're going to say, OK, like who's putting into this round? Like, is this really rational? What's a, what's going on here? Um, and, and then we might say it's too far, but I, I really, at this point, I just think we're nowhere near there, really nowhere near. Yeah. I, I think in general, like, at least that's how I felt in 17 and then 18 with the ICO kind of bubble, what happens in crypto is like, you have a bunch of good ideas and then other people have like similar ideas, kind of try to start their own and the market is so heated that everyone just wants to get in. Right. And then it kind of balloons up so much that it's just everyone's just overextended like you said right and then yeah. at some yeah. point there's no new buyer right you don't have anyone that can kind of say okay i want to get into this at these evaluations and then it just goes goes to shit yeah or like non uh funds like non-vc non-fund non-whatever just like normal random people investing in early seats I mean, so maybe from like some community level stuff, like if they're doing a proof of work, let's say they're doing a farming or they're doing, uh, they're working in a community, that's great. That's great for distribution. But if they are literally like walking into crypto for the first time in their life and throwing checks into the earliest stage of a deal, that's irrational. That makes no sense. And yeah, that might be a signal that we're close to the top, right? Okay. So, yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna be watching out for that. Um, in general, we've been talking with, with a bunch of funds and with a bunch of people. Um, and the, the last one that we, or like the previous, the one before the last one, we, we had Sam on and talked about his vision of the future and what he wanted to do with, um, with his money once, once he's kind of done. And he said he wants to give it all away. 
are you kind of do you have an end game plan for for free arrows or is it just um you love the game you want to make as much as you can just because i mean making a lot of money in this space right it's kind of like a high school in a sense um you make a bunch you're really good at it right that's your your reward what's what's your end game <laughs> um i I guess I don't, I'm not thinking uh, decades into the future here. I'm still young. Like I love the game. Um, and um, yeah. And I mean, we've all seen uh, market cycles here. Like we know what it was like to win. We know what it's like to lose. Um, yeah. I like the game and I like playing the game and I just want to get better at the game. Um, and it took me a while to get good at the crypto game. I, I, we tend to be more of like a single asset firm. Um, we were very good at FX. We do, and then we got really good at emerging market FX, like non-deliverable forwards. Um, and we, we dominated that game for a while. Um, I, th I would argue we were the best on the buy side, you know, for maybe almost a year at that. Um, and then we got arbed out of the market. Um, and yeah, and then we looked at equities and we got okay at that game, but not great. And then we looked at derivatives and we're okay and not great. And then we get in crypto and like, I feel like we're just at the point where like we're, we're getting pretty good at being good at a single asset. Like we can market make, we can trade, we can take directional views, we can do deal flow, we can do, you know, things that we think make money. And I just want to keep doing that while I think it, you know, while we keep, can keep playing here. Um, and I, I would like to see things built too, because um, a lot of the stuff we've invested in, you know, it hasn't come to fruition yet, right? Um, so it'd be nice to see a lot of this stuff you know, get built and, and, and working. Yeah. That, I mean, that, that, that's great, especially for the multi-year vision. Um, I think some perspective there is, is very much necessary. And I think, you know, that's complemented by your earlier statement that, you know, you're, you've been working with these teams for years. So of course it makes sense to, um, to see them through. So, Kyle, you've been incredibly generous uh, with your time and also the, the degree of detail that you're willing to go into, I'm sure. I mean, I know I, I learned a lot and I'm sure our audience will as well. I wanted to ask a kind of uh, rounding off question of sorts that let's say someone young or someone new uh, takes an interest in the crypto space. I mean, even the most basic example, they read up about the Coinbase you know, I'm sure in the few in a few years we'll talk to people. How did you get into crypto? And the Coinbase, uh, you know, direct listing uh, might be the catalyst for some people to dive in and get lost in crypto. For those people maybe listening now who, who are new, trying to figure things out, haven't been through a market cycle, maybe it's their first experience of markets. Uh, if they want to become or move towards being crypto native, uh, what should they do? Where should they look? Uh, who should they talk to? What should they participate in? Where could you, where would you point uh, a new entrant to to get a grip of this ecosystem more so than even market? Uh, I, so I think that the best uh, uh, introduction to crypto is at a point where you can win. Um, so not where you can, and not a point where you can speculate. So a point where you can win is if you're a trader, for example, doing spot versus futures arbitrage. Um, you can take your dollars, go buy some Bitcoin, and you can go sell a future. So you don't have the, the crypto exposure, but you earn that premium and you can make what, whatever the basis is around 30% annualized, something like that, you know, the past week, right? Um, you're winning. Like you're earning more than almost every hedge fund manager in the world on your personal account as like a kid in, in your basement, right? And you are winning. 
And uh, the nice thing about that is you can start and you can expand from there. Uh, another point of winning would be things in DeFi. If you take, you know, uh, coins and you stake them into certain, like some audited pools, let's say to start with, things like Compound or Aave or Curve, um, you, you're winning. Like you're earning a yield, you're understanding the mechanics, and you're, you start from a point of winning. And I think that's so important because if you start from a point of critical winning, you can learn about it more and more and become better and better. Whereas if you start from a point of speculation, you're starting from a point of loss actually, <laughs> because at some point you're gonna speculate and lose and then you're gonna have to learn from losing. And I'd rather learn from winning than learn from losing. So I think I, yeah, maybe it's a personal preference, but um, for me, I, I always start from a point of winning in something. Win small and then try to get better and better until you win big. I love that. That's like the, the best answer we've had to that question so far, I think. I love it because, I mean, in, at the end of the day, right, what we're seeing with a lot of new entrants in the market, they get in, they speculate, then lose like 10%. They're like, oh, shit, I want to make it back. And then suddenly they're down 100%. And they're like, ah, oh, shit, Bitcoin's up like 5x and I'm actually down to zero. So I, I love the idea of just starting off on on a, on the winning side and it's really like the, i don't think there's any space where you can do it better right crypto is just i mean there's opportunities there even like that are risk-free in a sense or like at least as close as it can get um that are still paying you a lot so i love i love the the um the advice there what what other market can someone start fresh with their first entrant into the market and uh and then with uh, uh, some research to understand what, what to do, but, uh, but then outperform every hedge fund manager in the world materially. Like, <laughs> it, it, and they're doing it on, so they're not gonna make like 20X, they're not gonna make 100X. If you do that, you get greedy, you're gonna learn by losing. But if you try to just say, I wanna earn the futures basis, and then I wanna get better and better, and then over time, I'm gonna realize this exchange is better for that reason. This one's better for this one. This one has like other products or option products or whatever that I can you know, do these strategies with. And then you get better and better and better. And then eventually, yeah, you have a real book, a real strategy, a real opinion. But I think the reality is like, everyone's gonna take a period of a year to learn. So during the period of learning, why not win? Why not like win instead of lose by, speculating and then winning, like learning by losing. <laughs> Why not just win for a year and get better incrementally and then be good by the end of the year? That's awesome. I think that's an excellent point to round off on. Kyle, thank you for your time, um, for your wisdom. I'm sure our audience will appreciate it very much. Uh, I know I did. Um, Duck, thanks for hanging out and your incisive questions. A quick thank you to the show sponsor, which is Blockfolio. Make sure to do all the algorithm induced likes comments etc kyle thank you one more time we'd love to have you back on in the future to discuss whatever's topical uh it's been a pleasure gentlemen and we'll see you next time sounds good thank you <laughs>